Welcome to Episcopals, bringing you the latest in faith-based advocacy from the Episcopal Church Office of Government Relations. Welcome back to the Episcopals podcast, brought to you by the Office of Government Relations of the Episcopal Church. My name is Susie Faria, and I'm a policy analyst at OGR focusing on environmental policy and creation care. On this week's episode, we will be taking a look at our Faith and Citizenship Guide. One of our biggest goals as an office is to provide resources to help you do advocacy on your own, and the Faith and Citizenship Guide is designed just for that. My colleague Alan Yarborough and I will help you better understand this guide, where you can find it, and how best to use it. So welcome, Alan. Thank you for being here with me today. Thanks, Susie. It's good to be with you. Um, so I guess let's start simple. What is the Faith and Citizenship Guide? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it is a document uh, available on our website for Episcopalians uh, to improve their advocacy uh, and really even to just explore what, what advocacy means. Uh, we, we do live uh, trainings virtually and in person and, and try to make those available to, to the church as we can. Uh, but that guide itself can be you know, taken by church leaders and, and used to, to improve how people engage uh, in their advocacy, whether it's at the, the local, state, or federal level. Well, we know that not everyone is as familiar or as comfortable with advocacy as we are. Um, so how does this guide frame advocacy in relation to other activities that a parish might be already doing? That is a great uh, a great question. I mean, you know, we are uh, sort of do this every day, as you know, so we're quite comfortable with it. Um, you know, but I, I think we we recognize and celebrate all the ways that the Episcopalians live out their commitments to love their neighbor. Uh, people volunteer um, and support outreach ministries that fund schools, that provide shelter for those experiencing homelessness. They establish food pantries to feed the hungry. Uh, and much more. Um, you know, Episcopalians also uh, sort of get, quote unquote, political, as some casually say, uh, you know, to join marches and, and protests, uh, helping to build a movement for positive change. Uh, and Episcopalians vote. They support others in voting. They fill out the census. Uh, some run for office or, or work as civil servants. Um, so, yeah, Episcopalians, they do a lot. Um, but we also, many of us will advocate for better policies and laws that can help us all live in a more just and compassionate world. And so this guide is focused on that type of engagement, um, how the work of advocacy can bring about the systemic change that will help us bring, help bring us closer to, uh, to God's kingdom. Um, so our hope is that people understand how to build relationships uh, with government officials, how to make calls for justice more concrete by pushing for particular policies and laws. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it is political work in that it's involved. It's involving community decision making that we do through through our government, um, you know. And, and and for those who are less familiar or you know apprehensive perhaps about it, uh, for those who are already engaged in those direct ministries, the social justice work, I think the best way to look at advocacy is something to add on as a component to that. Uh, if you go to a protest, also write a letter to your member of Congress. If you give money to a good cause, also make a phone call to your state representative asking them to address the issue. And if you volunteer your time, try to attend a town hall with a public official. Um, so for some, advocacy may feel uncomfortable uh, or not as rewarding uh, as joining with others for, for a march you know, for your values. Uh, but advocacy is a key aspect to, to systemic change uh, and a critical part of our public witness as Christians. So... If I'm about to do advocacy on my own, what types of actions are we talking about here? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we we talk about advocacy being fairly broad. You can spend, you know, some different things and, and consider it advocacy, but sort of more practically speaking, you know, in terms of relationship building with, with elected officials, it comes down to emails and letter writing, uh, making phone calls, in-person meetings, uh, joining a town hall or an event that, you know, a, a representative or, or senator may have in their home district or a local official may have. Um, but I think beyond those sort of tangible communications tools, the type of action we're talking about is is relationship building. It's getting to know the people who who represent us. It's getting to work with them and see how we can tackle problems together. So how does one get started? What's what's the first step in this process? You know, that's uh, another good question there. For for the first step, it sometimes depends on where you are and what issue you care about. But I think fundamentally, regardless of what you're advocating for, you have to do your homework. Uh, you know, we emphasize in the guide, we emphasize in our training, uh, you don't need to be a subject matter expert to be effective, uh, but you do have to prepare yourself and the people that you're advocating with, uh, even b- before setting up a meeting, before writing, you know, that letter. Uh, so do research that you're advocating on. Uh, learn about the complexities of that particular issue and the politics behind different you know, proposals or approaches to, to resolving it. Uh, learn the arguments that your legislators uh, may have, um, even if, uh, and, and legislators on the other side. Uh, your experiences, those of uh, the experiences of those in your community are also essential uh, to help inform policymakers uh, and guide their decisions. Uh, I think it's important this, in this homework, you know, it's about tailoring your remarks if possible, to align with a legislator's stated goals and values. There's often more than one way to approach a topic. And so the most effective advocates know what legislators have said on the issues, uh, as well as how they have voted, uh, and can hopefully you know, urge them uh, accordingly to, to vote a, on a new issue or a new bill. Um, so an example, um, if you're advocating on healthcare reform, uh, you can speak about your own experiences within the healthcare system. Uh, you could share, with permission, uh, the experiences of others, uh, and you can bolster your argument, you know, with data and statistics that support your case. So it's storytelling, you know, and evidence uh, together. Um, but you can be an effective advocate without having to understand the full complexities and every intricacy, you know, of the healthcare system in the U.S. Um, last piece I'll say on this for for homework. And, and maybe it's most important, um, is to understand who is in the position to affect the change you want to see. Uh, they're usually local, state, and federal dimensions of, of any issue, um, and then many people in different offices at those levels. So ask yourself who is best positioned to make the change you want to see as you design your advocacy strategy, as you figure out where you want to send that message and what you want to ask them to do so that you make sure you're asking them to do something that they can actually do in their position. Um, that way, it's not only you know, a matter of opinion or perspective or understanding, it's actually what functionally you know, can this person do. That sounds like quite a lot, um, but I can understand, you know, especially from doing this work, that, yeah, you, you do need to, to be able to do your research ahead of time and make sure you're, you're um, well prepared for these types of, of meetings. Um, I will also just point out that this type of information that you're talking about is public information. It's not like you're going to have to do any kind of crazy digging um, to find it. The next piece to this is uh, once you've done all the homework and feel prepared, how do you reach out to complain or to just engage with your elected officials on, on what, 
what you're hoping to to change. <laughs> yeah, the word uh, the word complain is is uh, appreciate your use of that there. Uh, you know, it's it's sometimes there is a time for that direct message to to say I don't like how you voted on this or I I want you to vote this way I want you to vote that way. Um, but I think the best advocates uh, don't limit this work as only delivering a message. And that's what the the guide hopefully focuses on and encourages uh, people to do, um, to ask yourself, you know, how do we build relationships? Ask yourself, what value do you or your church have to the government for solving whatever problem you're trying to address? And then approach that meeting sort of accordingly, uh, a little bit more of a two-way street rather than just delivering a message. Um, and, you know, while we do often advocate by saying vote yes, vote no, uh, it is important to do that at times. It really is more deeply about working together to improve our communities uh, and the outreach ministries that a parish, you know, runs may be able to offer valuable information to legislators or to get them connected to people who uh, have lived experiences or are subject matter experts on something that, you know, the, the, the legislators don't have access to otherwise. Uh, and churches can also mobilize people. Um, we, can, we can get faith voices bearing witnesses to the challenges facing our communities. Uh, and so I think by taking that relational approach, not only are we more effective, uh, but we're also utilizing our gifts and we're more likely, I think, to find fruitful ground for, for progress because I know this, this work can feel discouraging at times. No, that's, that's fantastic. Um, this isn't our FAQ episode, but we hear this question often from our EPPN members and, and from others as well. And that's the issue that some people already agree with their elected officials, and they are very happy with the work that they're doing. So what else can they do beyond that? If, or, or how do they engage with people that they're already happy with what they're doing in their in their position? Yeah, that, that is something we hear a lot. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you really are most effective reaching out as a constituent. Uh, so first focusing on the people who represent you, uh, your representative and your two senators, uh, being a, a constituent can uh, mean some limitations, you know, and you're, you're, you're hinting at one or this question gets at one. Um, but there are also still opportunities uh, based on the members and their rank in Congress, their committee assignments and roles, uh, whatever their passions or, and, and particular perspectives are. Uh, you know, so we need to, to focus on those uh, for, for the ones who represent you. Uh, reaching out, uh, what I hear in this question is, you know, can we maybe reach out to other offices uh, who, who don't represent us? It's not really as effective. They're, they're going to want to hear from their constituencies. You know, they're there to represent the body of folks who, who you know, voted in their particular district or in their state. Um, and so, what does it mean then to focus on, you know, the people who represent you if you mostly agree? You know, I think in that rather than being discouraged, uh, their members already agree with them and they, they want to do something. And so that's not the outlet for it. Um, they really still need to be building that relationship with them. Um, elected officials have hundreds of issues to address and limited time. Uh, so expressing gratitude for you know actions that they have taken as a way to say this particular issue is important to me. You're letting them know what you care about most. It's an opportunity to say, how can we continue to do more? Uh, or what else do you need assistance with? How can we work together on this? Um, and that type of dynamic helps them prioritize what they focus on uh, in a way that, again, you know, it better reflects their constituents' concerns. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a really important reminder. Um, 
But I guess focusing back, uh, we focus on the the federal level in in government, and given the split control in Congress, and um, accompanied that with next year being an election year with a, a presidential election. Uh, things in this congressional session don't seem likely to move forward. So when action is less likely, how should advocates be spending their time? What else can be considered advocacy or supportive of advocacy that we can do depending on the climate for action at the time? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. And I guess it ties back a bit to the beginning that there, you know, what is advocacy? There are a lot of things that could be considered advocacy or, or that make up parts of it. Um, you know, including marching and protesting. I mean, there's a way, there's a positive dynamic there. There's a reinforcing dynamic there that that, that being a part of a march or a protest can uh, help inform and guide advocacy as well. Uh, but I think the a more fundamental thing is to take a long view um, and that advocacy with a long view is more effective. Um, and there are a host of activities that people should be doing in addition to this direct message, uh, the direct messaging to government officials, whether they're elected or, or career. Uh, and so in the in the Faith and Citizenship Guide, there is a, a section on raising awareness in your community. Uh, and I think there's an emphasis on education there. And we, we talk about that from our office as we develop resources and uh, sort of educational guides or educational series on on different issues that we advocate on because we want to make sure advocates are informed. Uh, and we want to try to give people tools and encourage them to bring others, to invite others into this work as well uh, so that we're increasing the number of people who are speaking out. So it, when there's sort of a lull in the chance of something moving forward, that might be the time to focus on that coalition building, to focus on those the the education of our community, to focus on the invitation of of bringing others into the work of advocacy. Uh, and there's some different ways to do that, you know, listed in the, in, again, and in the Faith and Citizenship Guide, um, you could host a forum in your parish. We have a postcard project, um, sort of written out guide on how to do that, um, how to hold a forum in your church, and then ultimately write elected officials afterwards. Uh, you could do a prayer breakfast, you could do a virtual coffee hour, uh, working with other organizations or identifying other organizations that are working on the same thing uh, and seeing how you can collaborate, seeing how you can join forces with them or invite them into what you're already doing. Um, all of these things can really build up over time uh, and and be a part of taking advantage of those moments where there is or seemingly less to do uh, in the direct advocacy to, to government officials. Now, that's very reassuring. I mean, we as an office are very aware that the the work is always ongoing. And so that applies to individual advocacy as well. Uh, well, thank you so much, Alan, for speaking with me on this topic. If you are interested in looking at the Faith and Citizenship Guide, you can find it on our website or by using the link in the description of this episode. Thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time. The Office of Government Relations aims to represent the policy priorities of the Episcopal Church to the U.S. government in Washington, D.C., and to influence policy and legislation on critical issues, all while highlighting voices and experiences of Episcopalians and Anglicans globally. The Office facilitates the Episcopal Public Policy Network, a grassroots network of Episcopalians engaged in the Ministry of Public Policy Advocacy. Take action and learn more by following the links in the description. The Episcopal's podcast is produced by the staff of the Office of Government Relations with support from our podcast engineer, Ellie Singer, and project manager, Chris Sikama.
Thanks for listening and join us next time on Episcopals. For 100 years, the generous donations of Episcopalians and supporters to the Good Friday offering have helped the Christian presence in the land of the Holy One to be a vital and effective force for peace and understanding among all of God's children. A lifeline of hope in times of genuine need in years past, the Good Friday offering continues to support churches, medical programs, and schools today. Now, more than ever, we celebrate the centennial of this historic fund. Your support is needed. Give online at iam.ec slash Good Friday Offering or text GFO to 91999. The Good Friday Offering, celebrating a century of gifts and rejoicing in 2,000 years of good news.